to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter no my hide my Kiara and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge Lockdown Edition with Alison and Enika. Kiara Enika. Kiara Alison, how's it going? Oh well look not too bad. Thanks, not too bad. I just heard the, the garbage truck come by, so I'm glad um they've they've gone past. So hopefully <laughs> there won't be too much noise coming from my home studio. Yeah, you've got to take the exciting moments where you can in uh, lockdown, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's sort of the highlight of the day. It's like being a toddler <laughs> again. And um, school's back for our senior students. So that's um, probably a mixed bag, really. Lots of mixed emotions for them there. Yeah, well, we wish them the very, very best while they Absolutely. get back to study and get ready for their exams. Yeah. Yes, yep, good on them. And um, look, the weather's still horrible, but hey, that's what books are for, isn't oh, it? Oh, it was certainly good this weekend with all that rain. Yeah. So now, what have you been reading? Oh, well, I just finished a wonderful book. I'm actually starting to scrape the bottom of my barrel of, um, you know, books that I had out on loan when we went into lockdown. So this was one that was waiting on my pile, and it's called um, This Is How It Always Is by Laurie Frankel. And it's published in 2017, so a few years old now. You'll find it in the adult fiction section, and you'll also find it on Overdrive as an e-audiobook. So this is a story of a really quirky and, frankly, pretty wonderful um, family um, from the States. Um, Rosie and Penn are parents. They live in a small town um, in Wisconsin with their five, count them, five sons. Um, Rosie's a full-time doctor. And um, Penn's always writing his DN or his damn novel uh, between um, looking after all the school runs and the supermarket shopping and the toilet training. Um, now, they have a really busy, messy home, lots of love, um, lively conversations all around and lots of sparky personalities from all the, the gorgeous um, kitties in the mix. Now, the youngest, um, Claude, is a very bright, sweet and creative young young thing. Now, when, he's, when he turns five, he decides that he's going to start wearing a dress every day. And this is, um, this is to, you know, their version of kindy. Um, he tells his parents that he wants to grow up to um, be able to do a lot of different things, but he also wants to be a girl. Now, initially, they think it's sort of a childhood fra- uh, phase, you know, an inverted commas, but it doesn't pass. And um, after lots of kind of observing his behaviour, lots of research and conversations and advice and and a few wobbles along the way, um, his parents decide that their family is going to walk alongside their little one and just see where that journey takes them. So as it turns out, lovable Claude becomes lovable Poppy at around sort of six or seven years old, I think, um, if I recall rightly. So first it's just at, just at home and then um, at school too. And um, Poppy sort of blossoms into this supremely happy and popular, confident little girl. Now, Pen, um, Dad um, Pen has this sort of ongoing bedtime story running for um, all the kids in the family, even as they grow up, um, you know, you would think might be old, too old for bedtime stories, but they're still in. Um, the story is um, about a prince and a night fairy, and um, the way it develops, um, it helps to kind of open up conversations at a little distance, um, 
so they can all sort of process and kind of work stuff out as they go along. Now, it's not all roses, as you can imagine. Um, there's some awkward stuff um, at school around official paperwork and what lose to use. Um, there's sort of unkind comments from some of the kids that her four brothers kind of squash pretty quickly. But um, on the whole, Poppy's path is quite smooth, really. Um, you know, her family's got so much love and loyalty for her. Um, she's really young. And also, she's part of a small community that really knows that family well and... Um, and they're really embedded in that community. But um, now Rosie's work at the hospital um, sees her attending um, to the victim of a vicious homophobic attack um, on a college student. And um, this kind of prompts the family into a sort of um, flee, a fleeing situation. They decide to um, to go to um, Seattle as a kind of larger, more liberal town or city, I should say. Mm-hmm. And that's mainly kind of planning for um, fu- Poppy's future. They want her to grow up um, somewhere where she can feel safe and accepted and um, within a community. Now, when they very soon after they arrive, there's a sort of an offhand comment from a new neighbour. And it leads Rosie and Penn to kind of make a bit of a snap decision that they end up kind of regretting, um, and that's to not reveal Poppy's past gender identity within their new community of friends and the schools that the kids are going to. Um, So initially, it kind of makes things simpler by avoidance, or that's the plan. But in the end, um, having to keep that secret under wraps when they were completely open about it before um, has become like a real source of growing tension and division and each member of the family is dealing with it differently. Now Poppy's approaching tweendom by the time we get um, to you know into the second half of the book so you know there's all these discussions and decisions that need to kind of start happening around what the next step or the right thing is for her her transgender journey I suppose um, and her parents have got differing ideas so that becomes an issue too. Now I found this um, absolutely endearing and beautifully written and hugely thought-provoking read, you know. Um, Laurie Frankel is an author I haven't read before, but I found out that um, she is herself the mother of a young transgender child and um, she writes this fictional family story with such sensitivity and insight, you know. Um, Throughout the book, and I've been reading some interviews with her as well, she's really clear that um, that actually this is how it always is with families, and that's why um, that title was chosen for the book. Mm. So she she sees it as um, you know children and adults too are always changing in ways we expect to happen, but also in unexpected ways. You know, um, the road is never never clear. You know, mm. so she's got this um, in the book. You really see that. Um, she advocates, you know, feeling feeling away intuitively through what's going on, you know, really getting to know that person. And, you know, as a parent, you're always making decisions based on just whatever tools you've got available. It's mm, that is a constant. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You can't ever yeah. really know what the outcome is going to be. Mm. <laughs> um, so in the book, you see all these relationships um, happening um, between parents, between siblings, between friends. Um, and it shows lots of different ways that change and ambiguity is kind of navigated um, as we grow up and grow older and how effective those are, I suppose, those methods. 
and strategies. Now, this book, um, it ended up on so many top 10 of 2017 lists, I found out. Somehow I completely missed it, but that's, you know, that always happens sometimes. It was on Reese's Book Club, apparently. <clears throat> now, if it sounds a bit like Poppy's family might be a bit too perfect or a bit too charming or woke or whatever, I think that... Um, Laurie Frankel's really managed to get the balance right, you know. It's a it's a finely honed, well-written, contemporary, domestic uh, slash issues novel. You know, lots of people, um, I think, you know, people who might enjoy Leanne Moriarty or Jodie mm. Pegu or um, Jojo Moyes even. You know, these are the sorts of authors, you know, I think, you know, a broad appeal, really beautiful book, um, but on a really interesting subject, you know. And... Um, a subject I think that it's, it's growing. People are much yes. more interested and, um, you know, much more accepting of, of wanting to know more about, about a family's journey in this space. So it's got great writing. It's got down-to-earth humour and a really honest voice. It sort of cuts through the sweetness. Yeah. So I found this at Pamela Library. So I just want to say thanks to whoever put it on the recommended shelf there just before the lockdown. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're such a cool team out at Pamela, aren't they? they so are. yay to them. Big shout <laughs> out. Well, that sounds fascinating. Well, I've been on a um, a road trip around the North Island this week. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, of course, in my imagination. <laughs> yes. Because I, I don't think I've left the house. Once. But um, I have read the most, just the most glorious book. It's a New Zealand book, and it's called Everything Changes, written by Aucklander Stephanie Johnson. Yes. And it's published 2021 and it's available in hard copy and also as an overdrive ebook. Now this is wonderful this this book. It's um a multi-generational coming of age story really and it's um did I say glorious I'm going to use the word again it's a glorious romp around the North Island of New Zealand and um Published this year, um, Stephanie had written it just before the pandemic, um, but it's actually, like so many things, it's actually quite prophetic. Um, it's about uh, retreating to safety uh, amidst anxiety about climate change and digital overload and other unknown kind of bad things that are about to befall us all. <laughs> So she was she right on the money with this one. So anyway, the main character in this story, her name is Colette, but she's known as Cole. And she's been a writer for um, Shortland Street on TV for many years. But she has this idea of buying a rundown old motel at the top of the Brinderwyn Hills and turning it into a retreat for writers, readers, and people who are seeking health and spiritual happiness. Yeah. So Cole and her husband, Davey, turns out they need to make a hasty exit from their Mount Eden home because of a very unfortunate incident with their dog, Muzza. Now, poor old Muzza, he's a mutt and um, he doesn't really have the right look for the inner city middle classes, if you know <laughs> what I mean. He, I guess he doesn't have any poodle in his family history. Um, <laughs> oh, poor Muzza. So Cole and Davey, they forgive poor Mazza for this indiscretion, but they sell the house and they bring him along to the mo- the old motel. Mm-hmm. So at this terrible old falling down motel, um, their 20-something daughter 
Liv, Olivia, um, known as Liv, is along for the ride. She's just come back from living in L.A. and she's pregnant and there's some mystery around the father of her unborn child. Um, and then there's this question, what is she not saying about the circumstances of her life back in L.A.? Now, young Liv has very questionable moral compass. She will lie, cheat and walk over anybody to get what she wants. And lace. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. And she blames everything in her life on firstly her mother, Cole, and secondly, the climate emergency. So that's um is responsible. Those two things are responsible for her bad behaviour. <laughs> and she's infuriated by the fact that the old rundown motel not only has no Wi Fi, um, but that Cole has intentionally left this sort of god forsaken place um to be a digital desert as opposed to a digital dessert yeah so it's a desert (laughs) out there now um davy's a good kiwi bloke he's a kind man and he forgives cole and live for all their sins even though he finds both of these women are pretty exasperating and he tolerates the dog muzzer but he's and he's kind to him but in his heart of hearts he'd prefer not to have a dog Uh, particularly Maza, as part of of the family. Now, who else have we got? Oh, yes. So now there's also a young man called Choir, as in Choir Master. Now, he's staying down the road from the motel and he's on home detention or home D. He'd um, months ago had been caught receiving stolen property in Auckland. Now, Choir's a good person and you get the, you really get the feeling that he only got convicted and put on the bracelet, as they call it, um, because he is brown. Mm-hmm. Um, it's made pretty obvious. So Choir gets a job helping Davey with the renovations on the motel. And Choir's a really likable character. He's very trustworthy and he's got a particularly strong moral code and, um, a real loyalty to um, to Dave, Davey and Cole. And Choir absolutely loves Mother the dog. <laughs> he's, um, now, he's quite a visionary. He can see the potential for a real niche in the market for the old motel. And so he's a, an absolute asset to Cole and Davey and the project. Now, I have to talk about Mother the dog. He's just a delight. He's an old soul and very wise. He's loyal and he's gentle, but he's been misunderstood for most of his life, basically because of his looks. Poor old Mother. And actually, what I love about this book is that Mother writes a few pages in the, in the book. They're sort of like mini chapters. And I think Stephanie's done a really awesome job writing from the point of view of a dog. Um, but she is known to be a dog lover from way back. Yeah. Um, she's got a, at the moment, I think she's got an Australian shepherd or a blue healer type of dog. So she's she's really in tune with dogs. <laughs> so anyway, you get a few eccentric and dysfunctional guests who begin their stay at the retreat. And then Soon everything goes pear-shaped. I won't tell you what happens. But anyway, so this is followed by a madcap dash right around the motu. And as a reader, just when you think you are going to cry, you know, and weep, the action changes and you end up laughing out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I just loved this book. It's so Kiwi and, and yet it's touching, it's poignant, it's hilarious. And 
I really think it's for anyone who's ever dreamt about running away and starting over. And I think it shows that people are still growing up even when they're in middle age. Mm. You know, as you were saying before, we, we never, we never stop growing. Now, huge disappointment though for me. Um, the biggest disappointment for me in the book was when I realised I turned the last page and mm. I was like, no. So look, I absolutely demand a sequel. Um, Bit of tough Stephanie and her, here we and need, her blue healer. Yeah. Here we need to tell Stephanie this. So now the book's had rave reviews um, it, and I would definitely add my voice to the chorus of ravers. It, it would make a, a wonderful gift if you want to spoil someone in the mm. next few months. It's available in all good bookshops. So oh, it's, yeah, you. highly recommended. I can't wait till I get on because I'm in the queue and I really, really want to read it. I also just love the cover. It's got this 70s orange and yellow wallpaper, which is just gorgeous. Oh, isn't cover. it wonderful? I just so want to visit that motel. Not oh, completely. Oh, any motel will do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> any little hovel, anywhere. Uh, well, I read um, a, such a good book this week. Um, this was over the long long weekend where it was raining so much. Mm. I read um, a book called We Begin at the End by Chris Whitaker. This was published last year. It, you can find it in Adult Fiction, on Overdrive as an e-book, and also on BorrowBox as an e-audio book. And I think there was copies of the audio book last time I looked, so that's a little hot tip for you. Um, now, this is a multiple award-winning thriller from up-and-coming crime writer Chris Whitaker. Um, in 2021, it won both the Golden Dagger and the Theakston's Old Peculiar Awards. Now, these are the creme de la creme of crime awards, baby. And you can really tell when you read this book. You can tell why it won. Wow. Now, it's set mostly in small town coastal California. And later on, the action moves to Montana for a bit. Um, now, Cape Haven is the town. And its original houses on the cliff are falling apart and starting to fall off into the ocean as erosion kind of creeps closer. Now, the second road back from the cliffs is ripe for new property development as those views open up. And this becomes kind of important in the book as we go on. Now, we're following the tragic tale of the Radley sisters and their family. In the prologue, we jump back into the past to the discovery of the body of seven-year-old Sissy Radley um, in the late 70s, early 80s, I think. Um, now, this incident broke her family to pieces. We then see the quick conviction of her sister Star's 15-year-old boyfriend, Vincent, for the crime. Then we jump into the present day and stay there. Now, Sissy's sister Star has really been unable to move on past the circumstances of Sissy's death. She struggles with drug and alcohol addiction, unhealthy relationships, and she more or less leaves the, um, her daughter, who's 13-year-old Duchess, to look after everything in daily life, including the care of her younger brother, five-year-old Robin. Now, Vincent's just been released from prison. He's been in there for 30 years with mm. extenuating circumstances. He's come back to live in his family home. It's not far from Star's place. He wants to keep his head down, stay away from others and renovate the old place. But having him back in town is unsettling for a lot of people, of course, and um, for Star too. And there's a local um, um, business owner and property developer called Dark who is kind of sniffing around both Vincent and Star's houses. Now, 
Walk is the local cop. He's lived there all his life. He knows everybody. And he's best friends with both Star and Walk. Now, their friendship goes back to when they were little kids, and they've been bound together by Sissy's death um, for years. Now, over the years, he's kept up the friendship between both of them both Star and Vincent in separate kind of spheres, I suppose. He looks out for their family well-being. He really wants them to realise that both of their lives are still worth living, despite everything that has gone on over such a long period of time. But he can only be strong um, for everyone for so long. He's actually hiding an illness and his pain pills are starting to not work, so he's sort of deteriorating in health. Now, the star of the show, in my opinion, is Star's 13-year-old daughter, the self-proclaimed outlaw, Duchess Day Radley. Now, she's unforgettable character and a complete force of nature. She's got this kind of prickly exterior, um, but she's fiercely focused on providing her younger brother with the childhood she believes he really deserves. And this is on a very limited means, you know. And she's also trying to scrape by in school and save her mother. She's absolutely exhausted and um, trying to keep it all together. Unfortunately, tragedy strikes again for their family. Duchess is then hell-bent on revenge. Basically, it tips her over the edge. Walk decides that um, the kids, he is has a hand in um, the support of the children, so he puts them into the care of their estranged grandfather, and that's where Montana comes in, so they shift across the country, and um, this is meant to give Duchess the chance to go back to breathing for a bit, as Hal describes it. Now, I don't want to say too much because it's a lot, <laughs> and um, of course, it's a it's a murder mystery. So this is a dense, character-driven um, mystery with a single timeline, but lots of strands connecting it back into the past. The plot really hinges on these complex, emotional webs of shared histories between all the various characters. And as you find out more about those relationships and what ties them all to each other, that kind of ties the whole plot together. You know, I didn't really think that I would feel such strong bonds to these characters in a single standalone book, especially in a thriller. And it just completely made all the difference for me in terms of my enjoyment. Apparently, this um, author has been compared to Tana French, James Lee Burke, and Jane Harper. So if those are authors that you resonate with you, this book is definitely for you. It's yeah. beautifully paced. There's clues throughout all the way to the end. Powerful writing. Um, I'm so pleased that I read this book. And the cover doesn't do it justice. So just go for We Begin at the End. Don't look at the cover. Go for it. And just get into it. Oh, it sounds amazing. And those three authors that you mentioned, um, Tana, French, etc., that that does resonate. So I think um, our listeners will be able to put that book into context. Oh, good. Fabulous. Oh, well done. Well, look, I'm... Um, currently reading, and I can't wait to get back into it. Um, they'll be able to um, read a bit more in a few hours. Um, now, this is another one that's just um, blown me away. Um, it's called The End of Men by Christina Sweeney Baird, and it's been published 2021. Um, now, it's available adult fiction, hard copy, and also on Overdrive and Libby as an e-book and an e-audio book. Now, you know how they say that truth is stranger than fiction? Well, you got to wrap your eyeballs and earlobes around this one, I tell okay. you. So 
this is speculative fiction, which we we have talked about before on the mm. show. So the author Christina um, Sweeney Baird was um, she was only twenty five when she wrote this piece of speculation. Um, now she wrote it in twenty eighteen, mm. um, even though it was just published this year, and it's about a global pandemic that kills off 90% of the world's men. Mm. Um, She wrote it as a a thought experiment, I guess, because surely nothing like this could ever happen, right? (laughs) This is what she was thinking. Um, Well, I tell you what, as an author, you probably need to be careful what you wish for, because the book has turned out to be so spookily prescient, um, mm. apart from the man, that, you know, apart from 90% of the men dying, but that um, she, the author, has been accused of being a witch, of all things, by... Oh, you're selling it to me really well now. Yes, have I sold it to you? It, <laughs> God, it's amazing. So anyway, the book starts in the year 2025 um, in uh, the Independent Republic of Scotland. That gave me a bit of a giggle. Um, <laughs> So, and it starts in an emergency department of of a big hospital in Scotland. A mysterious and lethal virus has broken out, and it seems to be only affecting men. And um, our main character is an emergency specialist called Dr. Amanda McLean. And when she reports this phenomenon to the health department, she gets dismissed as fragile and hysterical. Where have we heard that is, before? Yeah, it's it's not good, I tell you. So by the time her warning is actually heeded by by someone, um, it's it's actually too late. So men and boys are dropping like flies from this very short lived but absolutely vicious virus. Mm. And hospitals realise that they've got no way of treating the virus, so its victims are just sent home to die. Um, it's awful but it is compelling so Mm. basically anyone um and it she talks about this it doesn't matter because there's some trans characters so you can either be cis or trans anyone that's got a y chromosome in their makeup will almost certainly die from this plague um and women carry the virus but they don't become ill Mm. so and in no time at all, the sickness moves from Scotland and it becomes a global pandemic and um, also a very political pandemic. Mm. So cities are locked down um, and there's a race to find a vaccine. People are trying to escape to remote places in the hope of outrunning the disease. And governments around the world introduce real unprecedented unprecedented orders and curfews and um, governments are accused of eroding the rights of their citizens. Now, does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> Let no me wonder, think. No wonder they accused her of, of being a witch. Witchcraft, yeah. So now the, the story is told from multiple points of view. You've got women from all walks of life, um, those who are fighting the disease on the front lines and those who are performing other essential roles in society. Now, all of these women have one thing in common, that is that they're watching their fathers, their sons, brothers, partners, husbands and friends die. And the survivor guilt that they all have is terrible. And plus this um, mass sense of fear, like how will I cope? What am I going to do with no income? You know, because the economy, economies collapse. Tanked, yeah. 
And the repercussions of this plague are, are hugely far-reaching. All those previously male-dominated fields like police and security and spy agencies, government, medicine, finance, construction, the list is endless. Mm. They're completely decimated because all their, their men die. And so women are going to have to rebuild society. So the question that is asked, is this the chance to do it right? You know, could could they build a better society, change things for the better? Um, like Iceland. Yeah, well, that, that's right, yeah. And um, it's just fascinating, you know. Um, and sometimes I think the thought of reading a book about a pandemic when we're actually in the middle of a pandemic is it's a bit of a depressing thought, but this book is, is anything but, I, I would say. And even though it's dystopian and it's the story of an apocalypse, it's surprisingly uplifting, I would say. There, there is some humour sprinkled throughout the book and um, some delightful sweary bits. You love them, Annika. Have you ever noticed that swearing in a Scottish accent is actually quite charming? Oh, just about anything in a Scottish accent is, <laughs> yeah. is more charming than anything else, right? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. And um, I want to, I do want to stress though that, you know, with the title, it says the end of men. It's not a, a book that is anti-men at all. Um, in fact, it's been described as a love letter to, to men. And it's actually about connection, humanity and love. And um, it's, and I found that it read like, rather than a real depressing sort of thing, it, it read like a medical thriller. So it's fast paced and it's a real page turn, turner. And, um, you know, I'd say it's more on the side of hope punk than, than sort of grim dark, oh, if you, you know what I mean. Me. You've definitely have sold, I sold me. you on it. Yeah, yeah you have. But I just cannot wait to read more of it. So when I finish work today, I'm going to sneakily read a few chapters before dinner. <laughs> well, have fun. Have fun with that. But look, I can't recommend it enough. So, um, gee, um, our session today has gone quickly, hasn't it? There was so it much is. we could say. But look, in the meantime, just to say to our listeners, Stay safe and well, um, stay socially distant, and happy reading. Hi, Rara. Kakite Anu.